This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Supposedly. Did you just say supposedly? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I said I did it as a joke. Oh, okay, I know sure. That it's supposedly. Okay. It's like saying for all intensive purposes. <laughs> I thought it was intensive purposes. Oh God! Just get out of here. Close that door. <laughs> oh, now I'm late. I don't have time to do my vocal warm-ups. Yeah. I got to just jump right in. I'm gonna not sound so great. I don't think you're going through your mic. No, keep going. Stand by. Hamana, hamana. Vocal warm-ups. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan. What? <laughs> did you say the Vocal hu- warm-ups. Did you just say the Human Torch was denied a bank loan? Yes. The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. <laughs> oh, boy. How now, brown cow? <laughs> uh, I'm ready. Hey everybody, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Bill Faze. Hey. Sorry about that. Skype crashed. Yeah. I was just ready to get into it too. Yeah. I've got a serious case of the Mondays. <laughs> it's it's Thursday. Exactly. <laughs> so what's up? Oh, nothing. I just had a really good sandwich. Yeah? Yeah. From where? Uh, witchcraft. It's a good name for a sandwich shop. I thought you'd like that. You love puns. I do. I really do. Yeah, it was good. It's like poached pears and some smoked ham and Gruyere. Mm, that sounds mul- delicious. Multi-grain cranberry bread. Wow. Pressed. Wow. It was amazing. This is, that's fancy. That's part of the reason why I was late for podcasting. Yeah. I was just sitting there savoring my sandwich, telling Disneyland stories. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Check my phone. 115. Like, I always do this. And a million texts from me. Yep. <laughs> Do you see all my stuff from Slack too? Uh, no. No. That's too bad. Any, anytime we don't podcast on a Friday, this happens. Yeah. Anyway, what's new? We just did this three days ago. We did. I don't know. Not a lot. I figured we could talk about this request cash thing because it's annoying the hell out of me and... You have experience doing this, and I'm dealing with it now, and it seems like a reasonable thing to talk about. I have experience, but I don't think that I did it well. No, that's fine. Experience is experience. So just to kind of set the stage, the app I'm working on, the idea here is that the user should be able to basically down. So there's no synchronization here. We're treating the device as canon. So anytime I make a request from the device, it'll just clobber. Like there's no conflict resolution. We're basically just ignoring conflicts and it's just, it's always going to be the last thing wins, which simplifies things. So basically the idea is the user needs to be able to, it's got core data database. So the user is going to be able to like launch the app. It's going to pull all of the information down from the server and keep it locally. It's a small data set. It's like an enterprise-y kind of app, so it's a smallish data set. So the app pulls down all of the the remote database, keeps basically a local copy of it. The user should be able to then, at that point, sever all network connections. So it's an iPad app. I think they actually have cellular iPads 
this client does, but I'm operating under the assumption that they do not. And so from this point on, it's going to be completely offline. So the user downloads all the data, goes and like leaves the office. Now they have no cellular access, no network access at all. So they're completely offline. And at this point, the user should be able to do anything they still want to do, right? They have a local set of that data, so they can do additions, deletions, modifications, whatever they need to do to the data. And then when they get back, one way or another, they regain network access. And at that point, we basically replay the users. So I'm making an assumption here. But at that point, once they get access, we should make the remote server look like the local information the way i've been thinking about it in my head is like we're replaying that user's actions in terms of network requests right it's a custom database so it's not like we can use cloud kit or anything like that it's custom backend so basically what i've been looking at doing is finding a nice way as far as the application is concerned i want it to be transparent I would like the application to just tell the API client, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. You know what I mean? Like if I delete a thing, I should just tell the API client, delete that thing. And I shouldn't have to worry about it after that. So then at that point, stuff gets weird because the API client's going to need to interact with some kind of queue object and hand it requests to perform. Those requests should go at the bottom of the stack because it needs to be first in, first out. We need to maintain order of execution because, like, the simple explanation that I've been coming up with is, like, what if you create a thing and then modify that thing? You need to have those two requests play in that order. You can't make the modification request and then the then the creation request. It's not going to work. So it's first in, first out. So the new requests go at the bottom of the stack, and then at some point the queue plays through those requests that it has, right? And it also needs to interact with some kind of a cache so that if the app is terminated, these things persist long-term, and there's always the possibility to have this pipeline of requests that needs to be performed. Does that make sense? Yes. You're not using NS operation. No. So where I am right now is... I haven't dealt with the API client stuff yet. I have a request queue, and it takes requests. I also have this very, very lightweight data value object. I think I called it a network request operation, even though it's not an operation subclass. But this request operation has just two things. It's got a request, and it's got a created at timestamp. And that's just a read-only property, externally read-only, that's set at the time of instantiation. It just sets the date, the created at date to NS date date, right? So set it to right now. So this queue, when it gets a request, it creates one of those things, right, with the request that it got. And then it hands that to the cache. The cache is a very, very small wrapper that conforms to NS coding. I just had the whole thing conform to NS coding because it seemed like the simplest way to deal with this. It's just got like a mutable internal mutable array of requests 
or yeah, request ob operations, I guess. And so it holds on to a bunch of these request operations and past that it's just a semantic wrapper around basically normal collection stuff. So it has like a first operation method. It has a add operation and a remove operation method, right? That just do all they do is they add or remove that operation from the queue and then save the cache. Okay. Got it. You know what I mean? It just calls a save method on itself that just does the archiving. Okay. So this is where it gets weird because like I feel like it needs to be a singleton and I hate thinking that it needs to be a singleton. But like just kind of I'm having a lot of trouble honestly visualizing this whole thing for whatever reason. I'm ha- I'm just having like a really really hard time fitting this whole thing in my head and trying to figure out like see all the edge cases and see all the the borders of this problem because i feel like there's huge problems with threading there's huge problems with passing these objects around it seems like it's going to be very very easy to all of a sudden end up with multiple queues or multiple caches and those being wildly out of sync with each other the way the queue works is it just has like an execute requests i'm not dealing with reachability yet but ideally, there would be something else out there that's paying attention to reachability. And whenever we get network access, it tells this queue to execute requests, right? And the way that works is it would have – the cache is going to have to do some kind of sorting, which it's also not doing. That's the reason the timestamp is there, is that the you know the, we'll sort by that inside the cache when it passes everything back. But so the way the queue works is it just grabs the top item – off the cache and then tries to perform the request attached to it. If that request succeeds, if it just comes back with no error, then we remove that request from the cache and call that same execute requests. So it's basically recursive. Mm-hmm. So that then it removes it from the cache, calls execute requests. I think it's like execute remaining requests or something like that. You know, it's it's better name than that. When it hits that method again, it pulls the top one off the stack again, which should be the next one in line, executes it. If that succeeds, it proceeds chewing through the stack. And it'll just do that as long as there are requests. As soon as it gets nil back from first request, it'll just bail or first operation, whatever. As soon as there's nothing left on the stack, basically, it'll kill itself. Mm -hmm. But you see where like that thing, like if there are two of those, that's going to be a big problem. Because if there are two of those, especially if there are two of those and each of them has their own cache, if there's two of them and each of them has their own copy instance of this cache, things could get out of sync real quick. Even if there's only one cache and there's two of those, it could end up hitting the same endpoint multiple times. And that can be a problem because if you say, like, for the same reason as everything else, like, if one of them makes a deletion request and the next one makes a modification request on that same thing, like we're going to run into trouble. And it scares me that all of this feels like it needs to be done in singletons, like that this entire thing needs to be like siloed away. So maybe the cache doesn't need to be a singleton, but it's going to implicitly be a singleton because the queue needs to be a singleton. Well, 
I think the cache needs to be a singleton because it's the object representation of your key, of the cache on disk, sure. which is just one file. Right. So I think that makes perfect sense. And the fact that you you have this requirement where they have to run synchronously also requires the queue itself to be a singleton. I don't see a problem here because neither of those really have state. Right. Well, I mean, the cache is state. That's like um, all the cache is. Yeah. I don't know if I'd necessarily call that. It, it's not the kind of state that I'm talking about. Sure. With regard to singletons. It's a representation of a file on disk. Sure. I don't know, man. It's there's something there's something that feels off about this whole thing to me, and I can't put my finger on it, and it's driving me freaking crazy. I know that feeling. I mean, when I had to do it, and again, I don't think I did a super great job, but it worked. I didn't have a lot of trust in in the queue, and mm-hmm. that things were going to go properly. Mm-hmm. One problem I see in your case is that if if one request fails, your queue is backed up. And if it continues to fail, nothing else will ever get replayed. Right. I think what I'm going to need to do is have basically an escape hatch for this whole thing that says, like, you know, reset data, basically. You know what I mean? That blows out the cache of requests and then pulls the info. The Like, the data, the data at first launch, the database should always get updated with the server's information. Uh, and then we're going to get into sync problems there. God, this whole thing. I hate because <laughs> we're going to get into problems there, too, because now I have to make sure that at first launch, I flush the queue of requests and then pull the remote data to update the local data. Because if I do those out of order, then we'll be out of sync with the database again. Wait, why would why would you even have a cache on first launch? Not on first first launch. Oh, but like every time the app comes to the foreground, so this is like for service techs, I think. So you and I, that's the other, another problem is that like, I'm only on this app for a couple weeks. We're just coming in, doing just, this. And just then, implementing seeking, syncing, just a quick, <laughs> just a quick, just a quick <laughs> two week sync job, you know, <laughs> it's a solved problem. So, <laughs> um, but like so the other problem is that like I haven't fully wrapped my head around this the domain for this thing enough yet. But so my my understanding is that this is basically for techs, like on-site service tech kind of a thing. So if you go out and you do something and then I go out and I do something and then we get back and both of our stuff is pushed up. Well, I'd want both of our iPads to be in sync at that point too. Like if I pull your information and then push my information, right? Then my own database will be out of sync with the stuff that I did. So I'm going to need to make sure that that queue gets emptied. Ugh. This is miserable. Yep. <laughs> this is just miserable. I don't really have answers for you. Oh, that's what I was afraid of. When And when I did it, it was more difficult because... You actually, we actually had, yeah. we cared about the responses. Right. You just I'm, go. Yeah, I'm throwing them away. I'm throwing. I'm throwing. I'm literally. I'm literally throwing the responses away. Not right. literally, but I'm figuratively throwing the responses away. I'm checking. Like I'm checking that there wasn't an error parsed out of the response. Whereas we had to take the response and then cache that response. Like whatever came back. Right. We need to cache that. But when you're persisting these, you know, requests. You can't persist a completion block to go along with it. Right. Because that holds on to 
it's in closing scope, which doesn't matter across launches. <laughs> right. Right. So we had to store like every little bit of information it took to make a request so that we could build the requests, fire them off, and then use introspection on that data to determine how to parse it mm. dynamically. <laughs> like we had to look at like, okay, well, we're hitting this endpoint and that maps to this entity. And luckily we had, you know, code in there that would sort of like auto map JSON responses to objects right. and save them. But it was a mess. Yeah. I feel like I could have spent a whole year just trying to solve that problem. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like on one hand, like what I'm trying to do here is definitely simpler. And the pitch that I gave for this two-week thing was to basically just get the cache stuff working. You know what I mean? To build this kind of foundation that was able to replay failed network requests uh, you know, this app, it doesn't exist, but it, it exists in a specific state. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, we've done work on it before, and then we paused, and now we're resuming for a couple weeks, and we'll pause after that, and yada, yada, yada. So, like, there is, there's core data stuff here, but I'm trying not to touch basically any of the existing app, just because I kind of don't have time to deal with any of that. So part of me wants to be like, well, I'll just punt like that last concern that I have about like needing to flush the queue before. I'm wondering if I should just focus on that, like just focus on this first in, first out request queue caching thing and just be like, yes, maybe even create issues for him, but just be like, here are problems with and, like, the client knows. Like, I told the client basically flat out. Like, I had a long email conversation that we got on the Google Hangout and talked about it. But, like, you know, I'm not, I can't build a sync engine in two weeks. I couldn't build the sync engine in two months. You know what I mean? This is a big, big, big problem. We're, you know, it's basically, like, Dropbox. Like, this is <laughs> this is what, this you know what I mean? It's like they've spent years kind of getting this down. I don't have that much time. So this is a very simplified concept, but it still has its edge cases. It still has its issues. So I almost feel like just get this in place and then document those issues as best as I can and just be like, I don't know, we'll have to deal with this later. It's kind of my only recourse. It's just weird because it's a big, big problem and this project is so insanely short. Like, two weeks is a really short project, especially for us. Yeah. So the other the other problem that's like, I have no idea how to test this, for one, and it's driving me crazy. I've been spiking it out just because I'm kind of fumbling around, honestly. Just kind of like, I, I've, like, I don't know what this is going to look like, and I'm just kind of going like, I don't know, maybe like this, and maybe like this, and kind of just trying things and throwing them away. So I, I, I'm considering all of this a spike so far, but I'm also like... I don't know how to test chunks of this and that worries me because that, you know, based on if you're going by TDD, like if it's hard to test, it's maybe wrong or that's a smell that it could be wrong, but also like file access, like that's not the easiest thing to test in general. And we're dealing with this file access and all this kind of stuff. Like I can use mocks to test some of this stuff. 
Like I can I can test the queue by mocking out the network client and the cache and just forcing those to return what I want them to return. Maybe all of the, you know, writing the cache out to disk and retrieving it from disk should not be part of the cache itself. Think so? Maybe that's part of your problem. Then then you could simply test the cache. You could mock completion blocks to return with failures. Mm-hmm. Run them and then assert that those requests that failed are still in your mm-hmm. cache. So you could make sure that at least that logic is working correctly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with regard to writing it out to disk, like at that point you're kind of just testing the key archiver. Right. I, I'm not I, I would just mock that stuff out immediately. You know what I mean? I would just be like, okay, stub the archiver and the unarchiver. Like I don't want to write anything to disk ever. I wish there was a thing like uh, <laughs> I wish there was a thing that would disable disk access from tests entirely. Like the way we do with OHHTP stubs or that thing that we kind of rolled in that last project that we were on where it's just like, you don't have access to the network now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just it's like a hard thing that we just put in. It's like, you know, we're, you're able to create an NSURL protocol and just say, like, this is a wall. You can't touch the network even if you want to. And that's a good thing because it means that we're not going to end up messing with production data or staging data just for our tests. Like, I kind of want that with the file manager and the archive. The, the problem is that there's, a, there's more surface area to cover, cutting off disk access. Yeah, but you could get a basic thing working by stubbing NS file manager and the most basic methods. Like, is it resource for URL? Like, what's the simple way of getting something off disk with a URL? Anyway, stub that. Have it hit this, like, singleton dictionary instead where data is keyed by a URL mm-hmm. or keyed by a file path. Mm-hmm. Turn around and just return that instead. Mm-hmm. And archive it and unarchive it in and out through that object. Not impossible. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to write. Mm-hmm. I feel like it'd be useful. It's that, what, write to URL atomic oh, yeah. mm-hmm. method? Mm-hmm. Stub that. Mm-hmm. Have it just put that data into a dictionary mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Would that help you? Like in the short term? Probably not because I think I would just mock the archiver and unarchiver, right? I'm talking about more generally like that it would be nice to be able to shut off disk access across tests the same way we would with network access. Just every project I think would benefit from that. But uh, I just feel kind of lost on this whole thing. You know what I mean? Like I just look at it and I'm just like, God, I I don't I don't know. Like I can I can kind of get the general idea of what I want to do, but I'm just having like I said before, I'm just having trouble visualizing it. I'm having trouble seeing the edges of the thing. Like I was immediately looking at it and realizing that like am I gonna run into threading issues where I'm constantly pushing stuff onto a background thread? Like we get the request from the cache hand it to the method that performs a request, it performs a request. If that's successful, we recurse back in, right, and pull the next one off. But inside that completion block, which is now on the background thread, I'm also removing that thing from disk, right? So I'm hitting the disk there. I'm removing the object from the cache and then saving the cache. And then we recurse and we come back and get the next item. And now I'm on a background thread. 
you know, and then I go back into the network request and now I'm on a different background thread. And then we go into the network request and then I'm on a different background thread. And so it's just going to keep digging myself down into multiple threads. I mean, the network request completion block should be coming back on the main thread. It should come back to the thread which initiated it. Because the actual kicking off to a background thread, that's all handled, you know, by the um, the URL session. And you shouldn't be letting that leak out and be doing more work mm-hmm. on that thread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the easy way is you keep coming back to the main thread and you can at least be sure that the removing of the operation from that mutable array and then the saving or adding to it all happens synchronously on the main thread. Or a thread that I choose. Uh, yeah. But if you're letting that you know, network thread leak out and you're doing other things on it, you're quickly going to lose track of right. what's happening where. Right. And if you don't understand like, what threads are being used for what, right. and then you start synchronizing things just to make it work, you've done wrong. Right, right, right. I also did start looking at ensembles. Have you looked into that at all? Seen it. Haven't really looked into it. I'm pulling it up now. I've heard good things, but... It's like one of those things where I've heard good things, but I can't place who I heard good things from. I just feel like it's this general thing that I've heard that like, oh, ensembles is pretty cool. But again, because our this engagement is only two weeks, I really didn't want to start down this path of like looking into ensembles and blow a week on this or a week and a half or two weeks on it and then be like, oh, yeah, this won't work with what we need to do. You know? Yeah. Kind of bum me out because it is something that I would like to try at some point. It seems like they put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, this would save you from, well, all of that queuing stuff that you're doing because this is literally just watching your SQLite store for right. changes. Right. Then you somehow have to figure out, well, what's the appropriate network response for this particular change that was made in SQLite? Right. And I, I didn't have, I mean, like, I didn't have time to look into that. I think a lot of it is geared around this idea of like web dev i think they have support for web dev servers hmm. so i think there's some object representation stuff that goes on there that makes that easier to deal with although i don't know much about web dev so oh who knows but it can also deal with different like backends i don't remember which ones but it has like built-in support for different backend like that kind of backend as a service stuff mm-hmm yeah, there's a protocol that you can make objects conform to to work with sort of any backend. Mm-hmm. And then there are some, it looks like there's some included ones like iCloud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this cloud file system protocol. So you could, in theory, you know, have like a Dropbox wrapper. Right. That's, this is cool. Yeah. And 1.0 is still free and open source. 2.0 costs money, but it's not that much. It's like 160 bucks or something like that for the no support version. Worth it, and then like a thousand dollars for the still worth full it. tier. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's yearly. Um, maybe not because you get the binary and stuff. So it may just be yearly if you want support for that period of time. I don't know. I want to look into that in another project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if if we knew this in and out and knew how to implement it and make it work, right? That was the thing. Like, if I if I had like a good mental model of what ensembles did, what its capabilities were, you know, and I didn't have to do research on it, I would have used it. You know what I mean? Because at first glance, it looks great and it looks exactly like something I would want to use. 
or if this is a longer project, right? If this is like a two, three, four month project, then I would take the time and be like, hey, I'm going to look into this thing. I think it'll be really good and will save me from having to write a freaking sync engine from scratch, which is what I said in my email to the client. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think spend like writing a sync engine is a good use of anybody's time. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? There's no way that money pays off for you. No way. Yeah. And the cost, even with support, $1,000. If you're hiring us for two weeks, right? another $1,000 for this is right. totally, totally worth it. <laughs> right. So that's kind of where I'm at. Sounds fun. <laughs> Not really. It's been driving me crazy all day. Could we uh, switch gears real quick and could I ask you some questions about push notifications? Yes, you can. So in this app I'm working on, it's my last day. And I've been getting this log in the console when you launch that because I'm using this method in the app delegate, let me pull this up. It's complaining that I need to have a background mode enabled, the remote notifications background mode. Huh. Okay. Okay. They recommend that you use this push notification method instead of the old one. It is the application did receive remote notification fetch completion handler, which is the newer version of application did receive remote notification. Mm -hmm. And I I think this is related to silent push notifications. I'm I'm not sure. Anyway, it's recommended that you use this. So I'm using this method. Push notifications work great. Everything's fine. There's no warnings or anything. I just get this log that says that because I'm using this method that I need to enable the remote notifications background mode. Mm Mm-hmm. So I did. I, you know, you go to the target settings, you go to capabilities, you turn on background modes, and mm-hmm. then check the remote notifications box. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Then I build it and submit to Hockey. The app will not install. Because the provisioning profile doesn't have that entitlement. But it does. If I go to the dev portal and I look at that provisioning profile, it says that remote notifications are enabled. And obviously they are because... Push notifications are working. Hmm. And I didn't see anything specific to this background mode that I enabled. I don't understand how they differ. So basically, I, I turned the background mode off. Everything still works. I just get this one yeah. log. Is it an app ID thing? Does it have to be turned on for the application? As far as I, um, from what I could tell, it's also turned on for the app ID. Hmm. Again, push notifications Was it by work. default? Uh, or did I don't you know. turn it on? Well... I mean, we've had push notifications set up for a while, and push you notifi- did it. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I turned that on. But this sounds like a different entitlement. Possibly. I don't understand the difference, though. Me neither. So I thought you might know, because that's bugging me. I mean, again, everything works. I just hate to hand it off with that. Right. That log. Right. I don't know. So, like, all of that sounds like entitlement issues, right? Because yeah. it would work locally. Because you kind of like have a wild card for that kind of stuff. But then like installing through hockey would check the apps entitlements against the provisioning profiles entitlements. They wouldn't match and installation would fail. Like that totally makes sense. I just – I'm not sure. Hold on. Let me pull it up. Yeah. I mean if I look at the provisioning profile, the distribution one that we use for – the beta builds, enabled services, in-app purchase, which is enabled by default if you have an explicit identifier and not a wild card, and push notifications. If I go and look at the app ID where you can actually, it, it lists all of the entitlements and what is enabled, push notifications is enabled. And there's nothing else in this list 
that's like remote notifications or something mm-hmm. similar to that. So you turn on background modes? Yeah. So if you go to capabilities, turn on background modes, and then check remote notifications, causes it to fail. Oh, sorry. Logging in, logging in, logging in. Hmm. Yeah, weird. I'd expect to see a background mode. Yeah, I don't get it. And if I edit that app ID, it shows, you know, the certificates for the push notifications are all. Yeah, I was just looking at that. You know, I'm thinking about just going back and using that old method. That old method isn't deprecated, and I'm not using that fetch completion handler for anything. So, yeah, why, yeah. Just because it was recommended to use it. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I mean, why not? Sure, a recommendation sounds a hell of a lot like this is probably going to be deprecated relatively soon. But mm-hmm. but if it's causing you issues, screw it. Just jump back. Okay. Want, want to wrap this up? Yeah. <laughs> See if I can do this in one take. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 63. Nailed it. What's nice up? work. <laughs> As always, we want to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com. Damn it, Gordon. You're messing me up now. <laughs> or you can reach out on Twitter at BuildFace. And as always, ratings and reviews on iTunes. Do it. All right. All right. All right. I'll see you. Later. <laughs> <laughs>